No book on earth has a more profound beginning as the prologue of John's gospel in verses 1 through 18. He takes his readers back to peer into eternity past where we never see God the Father alone. Always there has been another with him who is to God what thought and word is to man. He is the word. Through him, through the word, God acts. God expresses himself. That word became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ. John wrote the gospel that bears his name with the object that the reader might come to a fuller understanding of the person of Jesus Christ. He planned his writing around seven miracles which Jesus performed in John's gospel, yet there is an even more potent term for miracles in John that confronts us in the pericope this morning. The word John uses that is not used in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is the word sign. In classical Greek, signs refer to a distinguishing mark, a token or a signal. That's why fraternities and sororities are called Greek organizations because each of them have a distinguishing mark, a distinguishing token or signal or sign. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek uh, Old Testament, the Septuagint is uh, the Old Testament written in Greek, its meaning is often linked to a special part of prophetic activity, which is a symbolic anticipation are showing forth of a greater reality which the sign is nevertheless itself a part. John prefers the simple word sign because the miracles of Jesus are never simply naked displays of power but rather significant works that point beyond themselves to the deeper realities that could be perceived only through the eyes of faith. That Jesus' first sign of his divinity takes place at a wedding and is designed to prevent serious social embarrassment marks Jesus out as far removed from the monastic asceticism of hermetic communities like the Qumran community in that day. Jesus in the text, there's a, snap, a snapshot of Jesus in the text seen in all of his humanity because he is concerned with the everyday situations of 
ordinary life. Jesus knows where there is no wine, there is no joy. Uh, Y'all trying to be all Christian here this morning? But I need one or two believers to help me testify where the wine is the joy is talk back to me if you can uh, there is no party without the wine there is no good time without the wine and Jesus is not here talking about Welch's grape juice that's the stuff we drink over here at Lily Grove but, but Jesus change water into real sure enough for true Boone's form mad dog wine walk with me around the text in John chapter 2 verses 1 through 11 in these first couple of verses we see that there's a problem. The problem is that they're at a party, they're at a wedding party, and they run out of wine. But, but before I delve into a homiletical unfolding and an exegetical presentation of the text, I, I want you to see something else. Look with me in, in these verses again. Now there was, uh, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples also had been invited to the wedding. I want you to get this. Mary was there. But Jesus was invited. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was already there. But Jesus was invited. At your wedding, make sure you have a DJ. Make sure you have some wine. Make sure the mother of the bride is there. Make sure the bridesmaids are all arrayed. But, but before you send out invitations, make room for Jesus. I think sometimes the reason our marriages don't work, mine included, is because there are times when we invite everybody else and leave out Jesus. There would be less divorces in our country if we forgot about the expensive invitations and invited Jesus. I wish I had time to stay right there. But Mary is there. Jesus is invited. A wedding celebration in that culture could last as long as a week. And the financial responsibility lay with the groom. It's always embarrassing to run out of food and drink at a public occasion. 
Here, at a wedding, it was a catastrophe. In some instances, the offending family could be fined money because they ran out of wine. And additionally, to run out of supplies would be simply dreadful for it may have been that the groom had not planned well and had not provided for all his guests, which is purely unthinkable in Judaism because in the Jewish culture, just like in the African-American culture, when you run out, it's a shame. Let me see if I can unpack that. The Jews, just like African-Americans in America, we are, or we used to be, a shame culture. There used to be some things in our culture that made us shame. Uh, for the Jews to run out of food and drink would be like black people to invite somebody to your house and there's no more food. There's no more to drink. That would be totally embarrassing. We black folk would rather have food left over than to not have enough food. Because we are a shame culture. So much so that when we hear of some terrible thing that happens in the news, the first thing we want to know, was it black? Lord, I sure hope it wasn't no black people doing it. Somebody ought to help me preach here. If a black woman gets on an airplane with a bonnet on her head, we put our head down. Lord, look at that car walking in here with that thing on. Now that ain't got nothing to do with you, but you're shame because you used to be shame of going out in the street with your nasty house slippers on. You used to be ashamed to walk in H-E-B in your pajamas. You used to be ashamed to go in the store with your hair not combed. Somebody ought to help me preach it. But we have lost our sense of shame because we've taken God out of our situation. Those of you here who was raised right, your mom and daddy had a sense of shame. And they said, when you leave this house, you act like I raised you. Put your shirt in your pants. Say yes, ma'am. Say no, sir. And when we go to these people's house, you better not say you want something to eat. Uh, in this shame culture, they ran out of wine. They planned it, but they ran out. And brothers and sisters, you will help me testify that life does not always go the way you plan. Job chapter 14 verse 1 says, man that's born of a woman is of a few days 
and they are full of trouble. John chapter 16 verse 38 says, These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Edna St. Vincent Millay Edna St. Vincent Millay said, It is not true that life is one thing after another. It is the same thing over and over. The philosopher Schopenhauer said that life is an endless pain with a painful end. Ecclesiastes 2 and 23 says, For all his days are sorrows, and his trivial, his travail is grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This is also vanity. But brothers and sisters, the good news this morning is that it is good to know that when problems come our way, we can take them to Jesus. He knows our troubles and he feels our needs. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 and 16 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. When you run out, go to Jesus. When life runs out, when friends run out, when health runs out, when money runs out, find your way to Jesus. The problem in the text was they are at this wedding feast in this shame culture and they had more weak than they had wine. They were running out of wine. And when all the wine is gone, Mary brings it to Jesus. The problem now leads to a procedure in verses 3, 4, and verse number 5. 3, 4, and 5. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to them, they have no, said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. In these verses, a great gulf, a great gulf must be fixed between the mother and the Messiah. A great gulf must be fixed between the mother and the master. A great gulf must be fixed between mother and mediator. We must not avoid the conclusion that Jesus by rebuking his mother, however courteously, declares at the beginning of his ministry his utter freedom from any kind of human advice, agenda, or human manipulation. Yeah. 
he has embarked on his public ministry and the purpose of his ministry and his coming is not to do the will of his mother but to do the will of his father family ties have to be subordinated to divine mission now Jesus said woman in the text to address his mother as woman sounds harsher in translation than it is meant in the original language woman is not as cold in the Greek as it sounds in English it is a token of respect and affection the term was a polite and common form of address for an elderly or older woman akin to our speaking to our mother or to our elder by saying ma'am Jesus said ma'am mother ma'am mama ma'am uh, I, I know that but, but, but that doesn't have anything to do with you and I because my hour has not yet come uh, but Mary said, don't, 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 don't pay no attention to that. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Because I don't care what you tell your mama. She going to do what she want to do anyway. I wish I had somebody here who's, who, who, who's still trying to raise an old person. Uh, they will tell you that they ain't going to eat certain things. Soon as you leave the house, they cooking bacon and fat back and stuff they ain't got no business eating. Then they call you at three o'clock in the morning. I don't feel good. Mama, what you ate? I don't I, I don't I don't remember. They will do whatever they want to do. Jesus has just rebuked her, and Mary said, I heard what you said. But whatever he tells you to do, do it. Mary shakes off the gentle rebuke and exemplifies the best kind of persevering faith. She approaches Jesus as his mother and he rebukes her. But when she approaches him as a believer, he honors her faith. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. That, that's in the heiress imperative, which means do it at once. Do it without question. And I want to tell somebody in here this morning who's struggling in your faith, however strong the act may seem to you, however foolish it may look in your wise eyes, no matter how useless or trivial it may seem, whatever God says to do, do it. I think that's where Nike got that from. Just do it. But Reverend, they're going to laugh at me. Just do it. Reverend, I'm going to be criticized. Just do it. Pastor Folk ain't going to like me. Just do it. Because if God told you to do it he will empower you to do it 
and protect you in it. The Bible says, I will keep you. I wish I had a witness here. In perfect peace, if you keep your mind stayed on me. Um, listen to me. In making that statement of faith, Mary shows us two steps that we should always take when we run out of whatever we need. Mary shows us two steps that we ought to always take whenever we run out of whatever we need. Step number one, flee. F-L-E-E. -E. Hurry. Go to Jesus. And once you get there, the second step, follow what he said. Flee, run as fast as you can, and get to Jesus, because Jesus has the answer. Wait a minute. He does not just have the answer. Yes, he is the answer. And once you get your answer, follow what he tells you to do. I need somebody in here this morning who's been in some tight spots. You got yourself in the jam or somebody else got you in a situation that looked like you could not extricate yourself from. But some way, somehow, God just showed up right when you needed him the most and made a way out of nowhere. You can't understand it. You can't figure it out. You don't know how it happened. You're not smart enough to wrangle yourself out of it. You don't have enough money to buy your way out of it. You're not pretty enough to switch your way out of it. You just put it in the Lord's hands and say, Lord, I can't handle it. I can't do anything more about it. But I'm trusting you to make a way out of no way. I'm running to you with my troubles because my pastor said, if I call you, you're going to show up. If I stretch my hands to you, you will come to my rescue. And you in this church this morning testify. He showed up. He made a way. He opened the door. He answered a prayer. He brought my wandering child back home. He put food on my table. Because he's no shorter than his word. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And if God doesn't open a door, he's getting ready to open a window. And if he doesn't open a window or a door, don't go through it because he's got something better for you down the road. You think you lost something over here? God's got something for you over there. 
you think you have run out over here God has supplies over the, the cattle on a thousand hills I'm trying to hold myself because I've been in some tight spots I'm trying to keep from shouting and jumping off this pulpit because I've been in some situations where I've had to quote the scripture to myself and pray the Psalms to myself until God could come to my rescue the earth is the Lord I wish I had a Bible reading the fullness thereof the world and they that dwell therein for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the flood who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in the holy place he that hath clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully but he shall receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation this is the generation of them that seek him that seek your face O Jacob lift up your head O ye gates and be lifted up ye everlasting doors and the king of glory shall come in who is this hey king of glory the Lord strong and mighty the Lord mighty in the battle my back has been up against the wall and I've had to pray the Psalms the earth is the Lord's God has everything under control my enemies had me trapped and then I had to leave Psalm 24 and go to Psalm 27 the Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear the Lord is the strength of my life of whom shall I be when the wicked even my enemy and my foes came upon me to eat up just before they got to me they stumbled and he fell. Though a host should encamp against me, in this will I be confident. One thing, I'm trying to hurry here, but one thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my days. I'm, I've been trying to get to this all the morning. In the time trouble anybody here ever been in trouble anybody here ever needed the Lord to come to your rescue anybody here ever been down to your die last dime in the time of trouble he shall hide me Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, 
on the Lord. Has thou not known? I'm really trying to get finished here. Has thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Father, the creator of the ends of the earth, there's no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases their strength. Even the youth shall faint and grow weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait, I wish I had a witness, upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Shall mount up with wings as eagles. Shall run and not get weary. Shall walk and not free. I, I want you to, I want you to, I want you to notice something. Lord, I'm running out of time. I want you to notice something. It is not until all the resources are depleted. Jesus works a miracle. If you got a little bit left, he won't show up. If you think you can do a little bit to help it, he'll stay out of it. But the minute you acknowledge, all my wine is gone. And I'm not talking about drink now, I'm talking about all my spirit is gone. My hope is gone. All my character, all my integrity, all that I built my life on is gone. It's not until then that Jesus shows up. Mary was telling him what to do. But Mary is not co-redeemer I said Mary is not a co-redeemer Mary just told him go get and do whatever he says just, just go do what he said but now the redeemer speaks and says go get some water pots um that are designed, that are made, built for ritual purification. They were not clay jars because some impurities could have gotten in. They were stone jars because they contain water for purification. They are empty. Jesus said, fill them not halfway but fill them to the brim and I can tell people in here this morning who's been filled to the brim cause I can't hardly read the scripture before they start shouting 
because they don't have to come to church to get happy they feel to the brim at home I, I, I was watching some of y'all when we were singing the congregational songs y'all were sitting down there all cute not opening your mouth but some of us was just about to run all over this church because when we start talking about all oh, to be kept by Jesus I can't keep my mouth closed about that when we start singing blessed assurance Jesus is mine you can't get cute about that because you can't keep yourself the Lord had to keep you the Lord had to secure you uh, you don't have time to do it right now we don't, we don't have time for you to do it right now but next Sunday uh, find you a section of people who are filled to the brim because let me tell you what happens and, and, and I'm going to get back to my little word but, but let me tell you what happens when you feel to the brim you got to walk slow because something is going to spill over and so when you come to church you want to be next to somebody who filled to the brim because you want something get out of that dad section somebody who's filled to the brim and if they don't have enough you tell God fill my cup let it overflow he'll come to your hospital room and make it overflow he'll go to court with you and make it overflow. He'll go to your human resources office with you. They were trying to fire you and you get in there and they give you a raise because God just made it overflow. I'm through. But, but we move from the problem to a procedure in verses 6 through 11 is the provision. The sign of turning 180 gallons of water into wine is the first sign in John's gospel that is that Jesus, here's the first sign, here's the meaning, here's the significance, here's the meaning of the first sign. Jesus is Lord of nature. The usual 12-month process of turning grapes into wine was shortened in a moment. They didn't have to go to Napa Valley. They didn't have to go to Specs. 
Am I on your street yet? They didn't have to go in the trunk. They didn't have to go in their purse. Jesus just looked at it. John, what John wants us to know is that whatever Jesus touches, he transforms. What John wants us to see is not that Jesus once turned 180 gallons of water into wine, but that whenever Jesus comes into a life, there comes a marvelous new quality of life, which is like turning dull water into sparkling wine. Jesus adds color to your life, flavor to your life, joy to your life. And what he did once in Cana of Galilee, he has repeated countless millions of times and he's still doing in the lives of people who accept his rule and his authority right now. Jesus turns the useless into the useful. He turns the dull and colorless into the sparkling and vital. He turns a blundering fisherman named Peter and makes him into a rock-like stable character. He takes a thunderbolt, fiery-tempered man named John and changes him into the apostle of love. He takes a greedy, grasping tax collector named Levi and sets him to write by changing his name to Matthew and he writes the gospel. He takes a demon-possessed woman like Mary and makes her the first herald of the resurrection. He takes Saul of Tarsus, the great menace of the Christian church and turns him into the great missionary of the Christian church. Now I'm going to try to pronounce this word in Latin. And if I mess it up, you won't know. Because you don't speak Latin either. But here is what happened. Lympha pudicat deum vedet et erubiet. The modest water saw the God who made it and blushed. Now, we here who are saved, when we stand next to God, we got to testify like Isaiah did. Woe is me. For I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And then once the Lord touches us and saves us and redeems us, the modesty 
of my sinful nature looks at the sweet God who made me and my spirit blushes in the new wine. I want you to get this and I'm through. Jesus could have made it wine by just speaking it. But he told the servants, go get the water pots. Jesus is going to make the wine. But you got to go get the water pots. Jesus is going to feed the multitude. But you got to have the fish and the load. Jesus is going to heal that impotent man. But you got to tie up the roof to let him die. Jesus is going to heal that nobleman's son, but the nobleman got to come to ask for the healing. Jesus is going to heal that man at the pool of Siloam, but the man got to tell Jesus, I want to be made whole. And God will save anybody in here this morning, but you got to tell God you want to be saved. Now the miracle of salvation is no less a miracle because you participate. But if you participate in it, it makes it all the more sweeter wine. I'm through. Here's what happens at the end of the story. After Jesus turned that water into wine, he said, now draw out some of that wine and bring it to the master of ceremonies. And the servants drew out some wine and took it to the governor of the feast. He tasted it and did not speak to Jesus. Because Jesus was there to keep the bridegroom from being embarrassed. Jesus took a back seat because he didn't want the bridegroom to be embarrassed. And the reason Jesus took a back seat to that bridegroom is because one day he's going to be the bridegroom. When you know who you are, you ain't got to beat your chest and stand out in the front and brag on it. If you know who you are and who God made you to become, you don't need anybody's approval. Just do your work, stand back. The governor of the feast didn't talk to Jesus. He called the bridegroom. And he said, hey, bro. <laughs> I've been at a lot of parties. And I drank a lot of wine. And we've had a lot of fun. And usually at these kinds of gatherings, they serve the top shelf stuff first. And then after everybody is high and glad to be in the service one more time, then they bring out the old crow. and that flat Budweiser. When everybody's had a good time, then they bring the low, 
Lelf, the low shelf wine like, like Morgan David and Guggenheim. You know, stuff you can get at, 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 at uh, 7-Eleven. Uh, stuff you can get at the neighborhood store. He said, but I, I, I see you have reversed this thing. You've saved the best wine, the most extraordinary wine, the most sparkling, tasty, vital wine. Because people who drink wine, when they taste it, they know if it's good wine. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But there's some wine drinkers in here this morning who know what kind of cask the wine has been in. They know what region it came from in Napa Valley. They can look at the bottle, the name, and tell what, whether or not it's a good wine. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But to those of us who know that you know that you know, you know good wine when you taste it. And this governor said, this ain't, this ain't, this ain't, this ain't, this ain't what they've been serving over there. This is the real stuff. You save the best for the last. I'm through. I really am this time. But wait. Can we lift that up a little higher? You think we having a good time in here this morning? You, you think we praising God in here today? He's saving the best for last. Um, I wake up early in the morning. I'm an early riser. And sometimes when I wake up, no, no, no program is on television, so I just channel surf, looking through, through channels, trying to find something to watch. And, and, and every once in a while, I run up on a, an infomercial. And uh, on these infomercials, they're trying to sell you some knives, or they're trying to sell you some pots, or they're trying to sell you some cups. They're trying to get you to buy something, and if you buy it right now, uh, they will double it, and you will get the same amount of things for a t a two different amounts of things for the same price. And, and then if you, if you ask for it right now, they'll ship it with no cost because it, they're, they're trying to lure you in. And then when they almost got you and don't think that you have already bit the hook, the announcer will say, well, wait, there's more. If you buy now, We'll ship two for the price of one. But wait, there's more. We'll throw in. He'll come in with some other kind of stuff to get you. Well, here's where I'm trying to go with that. The Lord saved you. And you have a blessed assurance right now. But wait, there's more. In my father's house, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you will be also. But wait. 
there's more. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men the good things that God has in store for them that love him. But wait, there's more. The streets are paved with gold. The walls are made of jasper. The doors are made of solid pearl. But wait, there's more. There's a river running through the city. And in the midst of the river is a tree called life. And on the tree there's 12 manner of fruit. But wait, there's more. God shall wipe all tears from their eyes. But wait, there's more. There's no more crying, no more death, no more pain. But wait, there's more. Now are we the sons of God. And it does not appear what we shall be. But we know that when he comes, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. But wait, there's one more. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, for the trumpet of God shall sound, and the corruptible bodies of those who sleep in him shall be changed. This mortal must put on immortality. This corruptible must put on incorruption. And when mortal has put on immortality and corruptible has put on incorruptible, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But wait, there's more. Thanks be to God who just gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wait, there's more. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.